you, um, you guys might already know this, but right now, you are at a ministry of Compass Bible Church. Did you know that? Good. And even more specifically, this, this ministry is called The Bridge. Did you know that? And even more specifically, it's for college-aged young adults, 18 to 24-year-olds. That's where we are. That's what we're doing. You know, a few people have asked me if I plan on changing the name of the bridge. Are you curious about that? I, I, my answer is I don't plan on doing that. I like the name a lot. Because I think the name makes a lot of sense, all right? There, I mean, have you ever thought about why it's called the bridge? You guys have thought about that before? I, I didn't know that until I asked, but I really love the answer. And um, two main reasons. First of all, because one of its purposes is to bridge you guys over from your youth to adulthood, right? To be that bridge that carries you over. But not just growing up and getting older, but growing in your personal holiness, bridging you over from your youthfulness to holy adults. So we have a goal to help you grow in your Christ-likeness so that you're equipped to go into the world. When you're done with college, whenever you hit 25, whatever may come next, we are here to equip you to go and to stand firm in your faith and to be equipped to move on and to go and to make disciples, right? So in short, this may seem pretty obvious, but the goal of this ministry is to help each of you grow closer to Jesus, which I'll tell you a secret, that's the goal of all the ministries at this church, is so that you can grow closer to Jesus. But it's also called the bridge because we want to be bridging the gap between non-Christians and Jesus. Now, I know that might be a cheesy way to put it, but I like that. It's so true. We want to always be sharing the gospel to other young adults. We want to see other college students in our area get saved, correct? We want to see that. We want to see God use this ministry. I very strongly desire for God to use this ministry to accomplish those two goals and so much more. You becoming more like Christ and using the bridge to save other college students, college-aged students. So again, I already said it, but I'll say it this way. My prayer is that this ministry is useful to God. This ministry is useful. And in order for the bridge, in order for this ministry to be useful to God, it has to be filled with useful Christian participants. If you guys, if our leaders, if I am not useful to the Lord, this ministry won't be useful to the Lord. So something that we need to come to grips with is that it is actually possible for a church, for a ministry of a church, for people in the church in these ministries to not be useful to the Lord, useful to our master. So it's imperative that we as Christians, we understand what has to be done. What do we have to do 
in order to be useful to God. Well, the Apostle Paul, he wrote about this in his second letter to Timothy. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 20 and 21 tonight. So 2 Timothy, it's one of the letters of the New Testament that's known as the pastoral epistles. One of the few. And he's writing to Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. And he's giving him all this practical advice about being a Christian, about being a pastor. But the things that he says to Timothy here are applicable to all Christians. Okay, so don't, don't hear that this is one of the pastoral epistles and check out and say, I'm not a pastor, I'm not, I'm not in ministry, this doesn't apply to me. Because it does. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, this applies to you. Every Christian, everyone who claims to be a Christian should have a deep desire to be used by God to accomplish his purposes, to glorify him with their lives. So let's look at these verses. Let's read them together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. It says this, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So the first part, verse 20, in a great house, there are vessels of gold, silver, wood, clay, some honorable, some dishonorable. Now in a house, think of your houses. There are vessels there that are for honorable use and dishonorable use. Think of things like fine china. My grandmother Every so often would have our whole family over and she'd pull out the fine china. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody else been there? It's like these really, I mean, they, I guess they're really nice plates. They look normal. But she's like, oh, this is the best. This is the best china I have. We're going to pull it out. We're going to have the family. We're going to eat off of it. And it's great. That is an honorable vessel in a house. You know, some, I guess, some pots and pans are nicer than others. My mom would be like, I'm not using those pots tonight. I'll use those another night. I don't get that. I don't understand, but that's how it was. And then she'd be like, hey, Jacob, can you please, you know, get the cups and put ice in it and set it on the table? And I'd say, sure, I'll do that for you, mom. And I would go to grab glasses and she would say, no, 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 those are the nice ones. Don't use those. And we would use those for some kind of special occasion. I don't know. Those are these vessels for honorable use that are in a house. And inside of a house, there are also dishonorable vessels. Some things in your house are meant for taking out the trash, right? Some things in your house are meant for disposing of filthy waste. So you have things in your house that are honorable. You have things in your house that are dishonorable. Now in these verses, when Paul says in this great house, the great house represents the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Inside the church, there are vessels of honorable use in dishonorable vessels. And these vessels are the people in the church. Some of these people are living lives pleasing to God, and some of these people are not living lives pleasing to God. Some of these people are useful to Him, and some are not. 
Now listen, this is not to say that some Christians are inherently better than others. It's not saying that some Christians have some hyper-spiritual relationship with God than others. not what I'm saying. But what we are saying is that some Christians are more useful to God. They're more able to be used by God in their current state than other Christians. So an honorable vessel. What does an honorable vessel do? Well, they present themselves as approved before God. The verses surrounding these two, it says, they present themselves approved before God. So God approves of their lives. He approves of their pursuit of holiness. He, pers- he, he approves of how they use their time. They'll use their time wisely, thinking and doing things that are of eternal value. These, these vessels, these honorable vessels, are people serious about spending time with God and his word and spending time in prayer. It's a non-negotiable part of your day. These vessels, these honorable vessels, are not consumed by worldly pleasures and things that don't matter. They're not ashamed of the way that they've been living their lives. Now those that are not pleasing to God, those that are, dishonorable, those that are not useful. We have some examples of these. Paul gives us examples of these in in the verses surrounding. So first of all, we have these false teachers that he actually calls out by name. And the first guy, Hymenaeus, that's how we'll say it's pronounced, Hymenaeus, he's also called out in 1 Timothy. He's this guy, he's been a false teacher. He's been spreading false doctrine. This other guy, Philetus, they were teaching that the resurrection of their bodies had already happened. So they were saying, it's done. Resurrection is done. Glorification is here. We're here. It's absurd, but that's what they were teaching. And the Bible says they were upsetting the faith of other people. So they were church. So of course, those who are lost and those who are spreading false teaching, they're dishonorable vessels. They're not useful to the Lord. These dishonorable vessels are people who are giving way to their lusts and their passions. They're just giving over to it. And, and they know it. And there's no conviction. They know it's wrong. know what the Bible says. You understand that, but I'm just going to keep doing it. Paul explains it as youthful passions. They're giving way to their youthful passions. They're living in habitual sin. They're not growing in holiness. They're following the passions of their flesh. Dishonorable. These are people who participate in irreverent babble. That's false teaching, spreading false doctrine, but it's also things like crude joking, gossip, slander, cursing, belittling, perversion, The Bible says that's irreverent babble. And these dishonorable vessels are people who God does not approve of because their lives are not pleasing to him. These are people who, the Bible says that they should be ashamed of their work, ashamed of how they're using their time. It's true that every single Christian, the work of each Christian, the things that you do in your physical body will be examined at the judgment seat of Christ. Think about that. 
The way that you live, you will answer for it. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So you're going to give an account to God on how you lived your life. These unuseful vessels, they waste the time that God is giving them on things that just don't matter. So they should be ashamed of their work. It's a really embarrassing thing to have poor work examined. Anybody been there before? You did something poor, your boss came behind you, examined it, and said, whoa, this is not good. I have a lot of stories like that because in high school I worked for my dad. He was in construction, so what he would do is he would purchase a bunch of lots to build houses on at the same time. He'd, I don't know, three, four, five maybe. And then he would get his team out and they would build up houses. Well, my job was to make the outside and the inside of the house look nice. So lawn, skating, you know, landscaping, cutting the grass, all that stuff. Putting the, uh, the, what do you call it, pine straw down. Any of that stuff I was doing for him. Going inside the house now, he would hand me a push broom. He would say, these floors need to be spotless. Get all the sand, get all the dust, get all the stuff out. When somebody comes to see this place, I want it to look spotless. It needs to look good because we're trying to sell these houses. And I said, okay, Dad, I get it. I, I, will, I got it. So every Saturday morning, he would wake me up early. Come on, Jacob, let's go. Take me down to the garage. We would put all the lawnmowers and leaf blowers and the broom and the shovel and everything in the back of his truck, we would drive down the road. He would drop me off and he would leave all the equipment and he would say, I'll be back in a few hours, make sure it's done. So I'd spend Saturday working like that. And my motivation to do good work was that I knew that my dad was going to come back later and he was going to look at the lawn. He was going to look at the bushes and the pine straw. And if I didn't do a good job, he was going to say, do it over. It's not good enough. He was going to go through the house and he was going to say, what is this? That happened a lot. There's still dirt there. There's still, that, that's not good enough. You need to do it again and just do it again over and over and over. But, but I knew that he was going to come back and he was going to look at everything. And so that motivated me to make sure that I was doing a good job because it's embarrassing to have poor work examined like that. Now think the thing about that. My my dad, because I was working for him, that gave me motivation to make sure I was sweeping the floors good. <laughs> However you would say that, right? I was cutting the grass. I was doing these things. Well, the Bible tells us that our lives are going to be examined at the judgment seat of Christ. That, that should motivate us to, to say, okay, how am I living? How am I spending my time? Am I repenting of sin? What is my life right now? What, what am I spending my time doing? So in light of verse 20, here's what you need to do. Point number one. Honestly evaluate your own usefulness. And I put the word honestly there. Because it's easy to lie to yourself. It's easy to deceive yourself into thinking that you're good. You've got all this handled. Everything's good. Your life is good. Jesus is happy with you. You went to church today. Check the box. Read my Bible twice last week. I'm good. You've got to be honest about it. It's not easy. 
Are you living a life pleasing to God? Are you striving to become more like Jesus? Are you spending your time wisely? Are you serious about spending time with God? Are you too busy trying to please people that you're not focused on pleasing God? Are you taking the opportunities that God gives you to share the gospel? Are you even thinking about that? Are you serving? Are you focused on glorifying him? If, if you were to stand before the judgment seat of Christ tonight, what would his evaluation be? Are you honorable, dishonorable, useful, or not? And Paul continues on and he says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. So maybe you've honestly evaluated yourself tonight. Maybe you've honestly looked at your life and you've concluded, uh-oh, I'm, I'm not living right. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not as useful as I could be. God says that you can be an honorable vessel. You have to cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable. Cleanse yourself, then you will be useful. And look, this goes for all Christians, for all members of the great house, the church. You must cleanse yourself from anything that would defile you. Anything there is that may defile, you've got to, you've got to cleanse it, you've got to get it out. Now, of course, being cleansed from sin in a final, salvific way, that happens when you put your trust in Christ. But growing in holiness, becoming more like Jesus, becoming useful to God, it takes your participation and it takes your effort. If you think that you can just sit back and become more like Christ, you're wrong. It takes your work. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2 to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We know that he's not saying work for your salvation. We understand that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. Faith in him, that's it. You don't work for it. But what he is saying is that you have activity to do. You have things that you need to do. Your pursuit to obey God is what he's talking about. You're growing in your sanctification. You have to do it. You have to make up your mind that you're going to be active. You have to be determined to do things like flee youthful passions, like he talks about in verse 22. That's what cleansing yourself looks like practically. Very practical. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. At the bridge, I and our leaders, like we said, we want to see you leave your youth behind in, in more ways than one. We want to see you grow up. It's going to happen regardless because time goes on. I want to see you mature. I want to see you leave your youth behind in that manner. But we want to see you fleeing from the youthful passions. 
whatever sins that you were, were, were stuck in in your youth, these youthful things, flee them. Grow. Pursue Christ. Grow in holiness. And that's what we're here to help you do. But again, you can't just count on us to do this for you. You have to be involved. It's your activity. It's your effort. There's a similar admonishment here, and it's found in Colossians 3. Very familiar verses. It says, put to death. Put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Do not lie to one another. Why? Seeing that you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Two phrases here that are put to death. That implies intense action. He's telling you to kill something. Not just sit back and and just relax and watch it all happen. He says, put it to death. Put to death what is earthly in you. This is you doing something to rid yourself of your sin. You are slaying the remains of sin in your flesh. This is not casual. This is not low effort. This is not you just laid back and just, well, yeah, it's going to happen. It's intentional. It's disciplined. And it is hard work working out your salvation in fear and trembling. So if, if you just have a casual view of your sin and in your relationship to your sin is, oh, if I just ignore it, it'll probably go away. Then you are going to stay stuck in your youthful passions. Kill your sin. Take extreme action to rid yourself of it. I want you to listen to how Jesus, Jesus talks about this concept too. Listen to how Jesus talks about how to handle yourself if you're stuck in sin. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, then that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. Now, does Jesus actually want us to go around chopping off our body parts? Answer me. Good, just good. I'm glad that we're there. He doesn't want you to do that. But what he's getting at is intense action. You have to take drastic measures, extreme measures to rid yourself of your sin. Have you guys ever seen the movie Fireproof? You ever seen that? Okay. There's a scene, right? The husband, he struggles with watching pornography. Okay. There's this climax scene of the movie where he's just done with it. And he takes his computer, walks it outside, takes a baseball bat, and he just goes to town on that thing. And the neighbor was watching the whole time. It's kind of a funny thing. But the point is, he took extreme measures to stop. He had tried everything else. He had made little compromises with himself the whole time along. But the truth is, and he knew it, that as long as that thing was there, he wasn't going to stop. So he crushed it 
with a baseball bat. You need to be willing to do what it takes to kill the sin in your life. You have to flee. Fleeing from something that implies you keep running from it. You don't run away and then come back to it and then run away again. You are continually running and fleeing away from these youthful passions. You run away, you do whatever it takes to stop, and then you you kill it. You put it away is how Paul puts it. But because if you don't, if you get lazy with it and you let your guard down, the sin is going to find its way back. I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because I think most of us have been there before. I have a silly story about this to illustrate it, but I think it helps. When I was in college, I woke up in the morning and I went to brush my teeth. Um, I leaned over the sink to spit the toothpaste out, and as soon as I lifted my head up like this, something fell in front of my face. In Virginia, I went to the college in Virginia, um, they have these disgusting, hairy caterpillars. Do you guys have those here? Actually, we saw one, didn't we? In the garage. She freaked out. It was in the garage. Yeah. Is it a centipede? I don't know what it is. They're disgusting, right? And it was like 0.2 seconds away from falling on my head. Like, seriously, I went like this, and it fell in the sink, and I was like, oh, wow, that was close. Well, I decided I didn't want to, I didn't want to squish it. I didn't want to smush it. I was like, I don't want to do that. I'll just wash it down the drain. Turn on the sink. And I just, it went down the drain. And I was like, okay, we're good. I went to class, went to work. Guys, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding when I tell you this, okay? That night, I was brushing my teeth again. Guess what came crawling up that drain? The same thing. Whatever the thing is, it came crawling up. And so, guess what I did that time? I, I killed it. I squished it. I was like, I should have done that before. Right? Again, I know, that's, I know that's silly, okay? But you have to kill your sin. You can't just push it off to the side. I don't want to deal with it. I'll deal with it later. I'm not going to do that right now. You have to be killing it. Working out your own salvation in fear and trembling. If, if you want to be useful to God, then you need to cleanse yourself from the dishonorable. Number two, Purge your sin. Purge your sin. And I like the word purge here because it literally means remove in an abrupt or violent way. Showing that this is not just some laid back, casual, whatever type of thing. This is action. This is intense. You are killing your sin. You have to purge your sin. In order to do this, though, you are completely depending on your own willpower, correct? No, you're not. You need to understand that if you are relying on your own strength, you're not going to get very far. God is so faithful and he is so good to us that he says in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When I was growing up, I had a lying problem. 
I would just lie about dumb stuff. I remember there's one thing in particular. My dad, we had like a, we had a fridge in the garage, and we would put like soda cans and stuff in there. And uh, there's this one day where I had like two sodas, and Dad said, "Don't get another one," and I went and got another one. I left it on the counter foolishly, and he goes, "Jacob, is this yours?" I said, "No, it's it's Austin's, my brother." And Austin got in a bunch of trouble for something that I did. Right? That's just a silly lie. And I knew it was wrong, but I, just, I couldn't stop. Even, even when I was like, Jacob, don't lie. Don't lie today. I would, I would lie. But it wasn't until my parents were, were helping me understand this. Like, Jacob, have you prayed about it? Have you asked God to help you stop? And I hadn't been doing that. I had just been saying, Jacob, stop it. Stop, 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 stop. And I couldn't do it. The beautiful thing about our relationship with God is that in this, he's not saying you've got to do it by yourself. He's saying, walk with me. Walk by the Spirit. And then what's the outcome? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you really want to purge your sin and be useful to God, then walk by the Spirit. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to help you overcome your sin. Walking by the Spirit, it will lead to you becoming a useful vessel. As Christians, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in side of you. I just want you to think about that. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is alive in you, saved you, dwelling in you. And he says, I will help you. Just walk with me. Let me lead you. So as you are walking by the Spirit, as you're following His lead, the Bible says you will start to see the sin purged from your life. Now again, listen. You can't just say, God, get rid of the sin, and then do nothing. You are working together with Him, but He is helping you. He is carrying you. He promises not to leave you alone in this. You'll be able to take those drastic measures and kill your sin if you're walking in the Spirit. As you're walking by the Spirit, you'll be growing in holiness. As you are walking closely with Jesus, you will find victory over your sin more and more. Verse 21, the end of it, it says that an honorable vessel, that as an honorable vessel, you will be set apart as holy Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And that's what we're after, right? If you're a Christian, you should say, yes, that's what I'm after. I want to be holy. I want to be useful to God. I want to be ready to do the good works that he has planned for me to do. I want to be ready to do these things. I want to be ready to do the works in service to God for the glory of God. And if you're walking by the Spirit, you will be ready to participate in these things 
Because God wants to use you in every aspect of your life. Listen to me. He wants to use you in every aspect of your life. So this is things like at home, at work, at school. Whatever hobbies you're involved in, whatever sports you play, whatever team you're on, whatever you're involved in, God wants to use you there to accomplish his good purposes. And as Christians, you should want the same thing. You should want to be used by God in these places. So you have to be looking for ways to do this. You have to be looking for ways to serve and glorify him with your life. When I was a freshman in college, I was talking to one of my good friends. We were just, it was late at night, we were just having a conversation, and he just said, you know, I, I, I told him, I said, man, I just, I just want to be used by God, you know. Like, I just want God to use, in my future, I just want God to use me greatly for his glory. I just want to be used by him. And what my friend said back to me was pretty profound and helpful to me at the time. He said, dude, God wants to use you right now. Why are you talking about the future? He, he wants to use you right now. Are you being used by God right now? He turned it on me. How are you serving him with your life? What's your relationship with him like right now? Have you been in the word, Jacob? Have you been praying? Are you looking for ways to be useful to him? Are you sharing the gospel? He said, are you even thinking about people that you could be sharing the gospel with? And my honest answer was no. No, I've been thinking about, I want to be useful. I want, I have this, oh God, use me in my future. But I wasn't doing anything right then and right there. And God wants to use you right now. And unfortunately, Christians, we can fall into this trap of saying things like this. I want to do great things for God. I want to be closer to you, God. But then we don't do anything about it. Number three, serve your master. Now that's a simple sounding point, but the truth is that as you're walking with the Spirit, as you're purging your sin, the Bible says that you are ready for every good work. But again, we can't just sit back and say, where are they at? Where are the good works at? You have to, you have to do it. You have to serve God. You have to be looking for ways to serve Him. Be intentional about it. You have to be disciplined about this. So if you want to be useful to God, walk by the Spirit. Purge your sin. You'll be ready for every good work, and then do the good works. Serve him. If you look down at Second Timothy chapter 2, verses um, 24, 25, and 26, it says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, 
correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Everywhere you go, everything that you're involved in, maybe even in your home, for some of you, there are people that are not Christians. And Paul is is finishing the, the thoughts in this chapter, and he says, the Lord's servant, correct your opponents with gentleness. Opponents meaning, firstly here with Timothy, the false teachers, but also non-Christians, people that don't believe. So what's in view here is seeing God save people. And I just, I just I think that these verses, they, they fit with what we're after as a ministry. If you're here, I'm assuming it is because you want to grow in holiness. It is because you want to know God better. You want to be more like Christ. But we've got to be serving God. We've got to be useful to Him if we want God to use this ministry. We've got to be, we've got to be out there sharing the gospel. You guys want the bridge to grow? Yes. Yes. Invite people. Share the gospel. Serve God. Luke already mentioned this, but every Thursday right now, 9.30 to 12.30, is that what we said? Yeah. We're going to different college campuses. If you can go, please come. Please come. Because we need, we need help. I want you to just think about this with me. Think about 10, 15 of us to start, went to a college campus. Think about how many different college students you can talk to in a span of two, three, four hours. Then think about if more of you are coming. 30, 40, 50. Then think about this. Some of us can go to one college. Some of you guys can go to the other. We can be at three different colleges in the same day sharing the gospel with a lot of people. Let's let's be a ministry that God is pleased with. But again, in order for that to happen, you have to be a vessel that God is pleased with. So be pursuing holiness. Be purging your sin. Be walking by the Spirit. Be resolved to do these things. Let's be a ministry that's hyper-focused on growing in holiness and and sharing the gospel and seeing God save the lost college-aged young adults in our community. Let's pray. God, please help us to be useful to you. God, please give us wisdom 
Give us discernment, God. Help us to be useful. Give us a desire to grow in our holiness. Give us a desire to spend time with you. God, we want to please you, so help us to do that. I pray for all the students, all the leaders in this room, for myself, that we would all be resolved to be honorable vessels, that we would be resolved to please you with our lives, that we wouldn't be distracted by earthly things that don't matter. God, that we would set our eyes on you all the time, that we would be concerned about reaching lost people with the gospel. God, we commit ourselves to you. We commit this ministry to you. We are excited and expectant to see you do great, great things in us, through us, in our area, and at our church as a whole. God, thank you for Compass Bible Church. Most importantly, God, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the salvation that you have given to us. It's in Jesus' name, amen.